0: This is the Negro League Podcast with Preach Jacobs. Gentlemen, what's going on? This is the Negro League Podcast. I go by the name of Preach Jacobs. Thank you guys for listening. We are sponsored by Mo Better Soul Clothing. Go to moebettersoul.bigcartel.com. Enter the code NEGRO to save 10% on your next motherfucking order, motherfucker. We are back. Um, a couple of days off. I sound low because I am low right now. It's like 1130 at night. And I wasn't probably even going to record tonight, but I just felt like Getting on the microphone and talking a little bit. Um, Sorry for the delay. I'm be honest with you guys. um, (laughs) I've been tired as shit, man. I um I put together this uh, this show that I'm starting to do. Shout out to the homie Eric. Um, We're doing this thing called the Loft Sessions, Mobile to Soul Loft Sessions. We're gonna have a YouTube channel for it, and hopefully we'll have a YouTube channel on there as well on the Mobile to Soul YouTube channel where you can actually see my mug. Um, doing the Negro League sessions and all that good stuff. So um, look for that cool, great content. But um, the Lost Sessions is essentially what it sounds like, where I kind of want to reverse engineer everything, right? Because as a musician and as an event coordinator, we're always thinking the bigger is better. We're always thinking, oh, we got to get more people, more people to spend more money, and blah, 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 blah. Then we kind of just look at it the opposite, where it's like, all right, instead of me trying to do events where I try to get 100, 200 people to come and bring, you know, $10 with them to get in. What if I just did fucking 35 motherfuckers? (laughs) You know what I mean? Charge them 30 bucks to come in, get some motherfucking drinks, get some free food, and see a really dope fucking show. Um... So this is the idea where well, we did kind of a test run. where We didn't make it public. We just invited our, our family and friends. And it was just a really cool experience. We literally used Eric's loft. And we had, you know, about 40 people in there. And it's just really fucking dope. So we had a visual artist um, where, shout out to Heather, where she put her artwork literally on my man's walls. Like He took his art off his walls. And, you know, we basically used his home as a gallery. And we had a DJ. We had... Live performance by U.S. Truly. And it was just this really dope fucking event. So the idea is to do this kind of on a bi-monthly basis. And, you know, I bring some dope talent into town. You know what I mean? So for March, my homie Tall Black Guy... We're bringing him to Columbia for the More Better Soul Loft session, so we're going to film it, and it's going to kind of be just this really cool thing, so think Boiler Room with interviews and all this cool shit, so I'm really excited about it, but I say all that shit to say that when we recorded this uh, session and did this session, I used all my equipment, so I used my turntables and my microphones and shit, and you know, you party so hard that you just leave everything <laughs> at the homie's house and... uh it's been in there for the past few days, and 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 I didn't get it until yesterday, and then I just plugged all my shit back up so I could record back at a home studio. Um, and I just kind of felt froggy and I wanted to record, but that's kind of that was a delay because I just been lazy and I just didn't pick the shit up. Because you know, you get done recording, you you know, done with a show. I used to joke, I I just want to be famous enough where somebody else packs the equipment up. You know what I mean? You ever do shows with your band, and then at the end of the show, motherfuckers, you know, gotta pack the bass. The bass amp and take it to the car and all that type of shit. you got to do that whole, <laughs> you got to do that whole thing where you just stand around waiting to get paid. Like, man, I just want to be famous enough that when I get done, I just walk the fuck out, right? I remember um, seeing Questlove at the Brooklyn Bowl um, years ago, and this is kind of, it's kind of the worst time to see him, right? Where it was like, I went out to New York. Uh, because there was a friend of mine that knew him, and and I wanted to meet him, you know, to talk to him about some of the music I was doing. And he was just like, well, he was friends with Quest. He's like, well, go to New York and um, check him out, and he's going to be at the Brooklyn Bowl. Go talk to him. Brooklyn Bowl was on a Thursday. So I go to New York on that Monday and do a couple of things, and the idea was, you know, by that Thursday, catch up. Try to catch up with Quest and, you know, drop a name. Like, hey, my homie knows you, blah, blah, blah. Well, (laughs) the day before we were supposed to see him, uh, Rich Nichols, the the longtime manager of the Roots, passes away, and I'm like, oh, this is the worst time to try to kind of try to meet Quest. You know what I mean? Like, this is the worst time to try to talk about this. Talk to this dude about, hey man, sorry your homeboy passed away. Here's some music? Like, nah, it just wasn't working. But I said that to say that. I was just gonna go back home, but he ended up posting on you know Twitter like, "Hey, the only thing that make me feel better if I play some music, so I'll come out to Brooklyn Bowl, not to me specifically, but just Santa's fans." And I went out to Brooklyn Bowl, and the cool thing that I thought was dope about it was he he walks in with his Serato vinyl, just two records, and that was it. And he played. And then when he got done, he took his two records off the stage and it was like a Mercedes waiting for him. He got it and he left. And I thought out of all the cool shit that happened, I just liked the idea that he didn't have to carry shit. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like he didn't have to unload stuff. So, you know, that's the level of stardom I want to be on at least. You know what I'm saying? Like just walk in, play, go the fuck home. You don't have to unpack anything. So I sort of felt like a celebrity when I got done with the show because I just left all my shit there. Uh, But It's sobering when you got to go back and unplug everything because that is the biggest fucking headache. So you got to put the monitors in your car. You got to, you know, take these heavy-ass turntables. And um, I guess I can't complain. I remember I was doing this show in uh, Charlotte with uh, Jay Live. Shout out to Jay Live, where I'm getting done with the show and I'm packing up my turntables. And, you know, they come in these suitcases. You know, you pack them in these suitcases, these coffins, whatever. And they're fucking heavy as shit. And I remember, like, I walked back in, back and forth to get stuff, put it back in the car, and somebody like, busted my window. And you could see that they tried to grab one of the turntable coffins and run away, but this shit was heavy as fuck. So I can imagine some crook. It's like, yo, I want to grab something quick. And they couldn't grab it fast enough. They said, fuck it, and just took the candy bar. <laughs> so anyways, so who, who knew? That uh, candy bars is a trigger for people to kind of like break into your shit, right? Um, Speaking of trigger, ah, look at that segue. Um, I wrote an editorial about Killer Mike's trigger warning. Hopefully it'll be up soon. I'll post it on my shit. And um, I was kind of torn with it, right? I think I was talking to the homie Shiggy about it on the last episode. Shout out to Shiggy. We had a great time with that episode, the Super China Buffet Cause I uh, I know he's one of the two people <laughs> that that subscribe, so he's gonna get this as soon as we upload it. But um, nah, man, I felt I feel kind of weird about the show. Like, is there's a lot about it that I can understand the fly shit about it, and and be honest with you, I, here's how I feel about it. Killer Mike's my favorite rapper, right? Especially the past five years, he's just been that fucking dude for me. You know, whether it's just him rapping his ass off, killing these records to being politically and socially active and and just charming and shit. But on top of that, I think that he he also inspired me in a sense where he kind of showed how you can kind of have um, a second win with this rap shit, right? Where you don't have to try to sell a million records. You could be niche as fuck. You can kind of gravitate or, or, or uh, what word I want to use. You can galvanize a fan base, I don't fuck with you. And it doesn't have to be traditional. It doesn't have to look like everybody else. And I love that about what he was doing with Run the Jewels and then, you know, the Bernie Sanders stuff. And, like, he was, like, my favorite fucking guy, you know? So I say that to say, um, this past week, you know, while he's doing his trigger warning press run, he did the Joe Rogan experience, and he's he was on there for, like, three hours, and it was just this amazing, great interview. And I think that's where I was wrong, in the sense of that's what I was expecting with the show, right? Like, I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be, like, really, really dope commentary um, where he's going to these people, talking to these people, having these great conversations. Like, I'm really thinking about Anthony Bourdain and how he does, you know, he, it wasn't a cooking show. Like, cooking was, the food was a backdrop, but it was just a social, political thing where he just really, really is just in tune with a lot of people. Shit, hold on, Charlie's calling me. Okay, I'm back. Um, where it was just this thing where he just does this, uh, he just, Anthony Bourdain goes to these different countries and he talks to people about, you know, what are the, what are the things that make you tick? What are the things that work well with the country? You know, what are the things that hate his native country in America? Like, stuff like that. And it was just this really, really, extremely well-produced, probably one of the most well-produced shows I've ever seen. And just how, he did the show it was just really fucking incredible to me um that's not what i got with trigger warning and maybe that was my fault because i was expecting that but trigger Warning, trigger, trigger warning is is very satirical and satire is weird when when you when you don't know who the joke is on then it doesn't work for me you know what i'm saying where it's like You know, Black Dynamite worked because we're talking about black exploitation films. And I've always, and I think I said this in the last podcast, I love black exploitation films in the sense of not because the movies were good. It's because despite the movies not being good, I loved them. Um, It was because we were trying to figure it out. You know what I mean? Like you have uh, uh, all these people of color working on films that's never been a grip before, never been a producer before, never been on a movie set before. So you're going to see a bunch of fucking mistakes. Like literally you're watching the Mac... And and Ralph Julian is stepping up and there's a fucking boom mic hitting him on the head. And so when they do that in Black Dynamite, it's pitch perfect because that's a part of the charm, right? Like, it's, it's bad editing, but it's done on purpose. It looks cheap sometimes on purpose. And it's fucking brilliant because we knew who the joke was on. It wasn't on us, per se, but it was us acknowledging, yo, despite all that shit, we still have a thing in our heart for this stuff. And so there was little moments in the show, like the first episode, right, was, was, you know, I love the concept of, hey, I'm going to buy black. I'm going to buy black for three days. You know, um, if if it's not a restaurant that's black owned, I'm not eating there. Then it got to the point where if the food wasn't grown on the black farm, I'm not eating it. And so it's like, oh, well, you know, I'm sleeping on a park bench because, you know, there's no black hotels. You know what I mean? But he's wearing like Jordans. But I, I digress. But- a part of that was kind of cheeky, tongue in cheek, you know what I mean, but then you get to the point where these a lot of these episodes kind of just get out of hand. So like, there's an episode where he's talking about, you know, um, the Hells Angels is a motorcycle gang, they're a fucking gang, but you can go on Amazon and buy a t-shirt. So they figured out a way to create a business and it makes money and, and it helps the organization. So he's like, hey, I'm gonna go to the Crips and the Bloods and help them create a, a real business. And they create the soda, Cola, and then the bloods have blood pop. But in the process of that, he's taking these guys from Atlanta, um, these gang members in Atlanta, and there's like a scene where he's like taking them to a a bank. And it's like this comedic thing, like, yeah, we're trying to get a loan of $100,000. And you can tell that these guys are terribly, you know, not prepared to ask for the loan. They don't have the access to whatever. And it felt kind of exploitive, Right. Like, I get kind of in the sense of, all right, well, here's the stuff you got to showcase to get along. But it was just this, it was just silly. And it felt, are we making fun of them? Are we making fun of the gang members? Are we making fun of the people that we're supposed to be empowering in this episode? So it just got kind of weird for me. And that's kind of where things kind of get lost in television, where it's just like, yo, motherfuckers will go to the end of the earth for a joke, right? It's like, if you look at somebody like Will Ferrell, he's not a great comedian. Like, you ever see Will Ferrell do stand-up? Like, no. But he's a him and, like, Sasha Cohen are, like, funny as fuck in a sense, theoretically, because they would do anything for the joke. You know what I'm saying? So you got, like, Borat, where Sasha Cohen is, like, his face is in a nigga's ass because he felt like that's what he needed to do, where he needed to go to get funny. Funny is the top priority. But when we're dealing with social commentary – and we're dealing with our people and exploitation and satire. Funny shouldn't always be the first thing because that's where exploitation comes in, because it's not for the sake of comedy. You know what I mean? So I don't know. So I I felt I felt torn because I felt like there was really cool shit that he was doing with it. Um, and I trust him as, as an artist, I trust him as somebody that really, really fucks with his community and, and is down with it. But I think what I said in the article was it felt like I was watching Love and Hip Hop trying to have a moral compass, but they didn't know where they were going. You know what I mean? So that was kind of one of the big takeaways of the stuff that I was watching lately. I still suggest you guys watch it. If you haven't watched it, it's six episodes at 30 minutes a piece, you know, eh, okay, go, go for it. You know, what the fuck do I know? Um, and I still wanna get some Crip Cola. So I got an art show, a hip hop art show coming up this uh Friday. And I would love to have like Crip Cola. You know, wouldn't that have been fucking dope? You know what I'm saying? But um like 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 for an example, right? The process of getting the soda made, that should have been an episode. You know what I mean? It was just like, oh, we should get a soda, and then the soda is there. Show the production. Show how we do it. How do you get that done? Like I thought that would have been cool. Like I think that story is strong enough without the added stuff you know and there was an episode where he's like I want to create this musical group of all these different races and different genders and, and and genres and you know and it's all these terrible actors and this guy acting like he's this redneck and it's like you know he's a Trump guy and I want to write these lyrics and at the end of his song at this quote unquote Run a jewels concert the guy ends his verse with saying I'm a white nigger and, and you know and everyone's like oh and it just looks really cheesy and really corny and I didn't like it go figure um, I'm watching True Detective. Um, uh, Ali is the only reason I'm watching it. <laughs> Cause after season two, like, niggas completely build out on it. Season one is probably some of the best television I've ever seen. But uh season two was pretty awful. Um but Mohashula um Maharshala is 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 that guy. You know, one of my favorite actors. Side note. And it might be kind of silly since he's already done Green Book and he plays a piano player, um, and I didn't see it because the family didn't like the movie. Like it turned into one of those lethal weapon things. He's white and I'm black, and we reversed the roles because the black guy never had chicken before. You know what I mean? And and, and the family of the the character Maharshal Ali was playing was uh, they didn't like the movie. <laughs> like they were just like, "Yo, don't don't try to put this in a fucking." don't make this into a Hallmark movie. Like, this is some real shit, you know? That's the only reason I haven't seen it, because the family didn't support it. But I support Marshall Ali, and he even said that his intention wasn't to offend the family, and I think if he would have thought that he wouldn't have done it. Like, he has a lot of integrity. I I like him. Um, But I say that to say that, you know, he's one of my favorite actors, so if he touches something, I trust him. And saying that, we're about four episodes in, and it's slow as shit. Like, I just want something to happen. You know what I mean? And it's like, True Detectives are like one of those shows where... I think it's eight episodes, eight or ten episodes. Wait, like if it's eight episodes, the show is you're gonna be confused as fuck for seven weeks. <laughs> right? So like I'm trying to I'm trying to hang in there. We're halfway there. I'm trying to hang in there. Um damn, I watched a lot of T V recently. The Punisher, I haven't finished that. I I think I just I just tuned out all of these Netflix Marvel shows. I'm just done. I'm done, like I just I just find myself not caring about these motherfuckers anymore. Maybe I tune out because I knew it was gonna be canceled anyway. But, uh, you know, it feels like a chore to watch it. You know what I mean, like it's like, eh, uh, yeah, okay. But, you know, go for it. Um, damn, I have been watching a lot of the fire Festival shit. Uh, maybe I'm a week late on that. Like I didn't know what the fuck those memes were about with the guy <laughs> that was basically like, I'ma suck dick for water. God bless you. you. Everybody needed somebody like that on their team. <laughs> Really <laughs> everybody need a god like that on their team. <laughs> but um but yeah, a lot of lot of cool shit that I watched lately. I haven't been to the movies. I don't think anything is coming out. If the Oscar Nods came out. I really don't give a fuck about that. Um Black Panther won, I think, the SAG Award for best film. Um will it win best movie this year? I don't know. It might. I, I tell you, it might. I mean if we're t- if it put out this if if the Oscars was the Grammys, I know it would win. Right? Because it's like the biggest fucking movie of the year. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. Um I really, I really don't care about all that shit though. It's like I really feel like, man, like here's here's how I feel about it, right? When we're talking about first black person or or you know, the limited number of black people or people of color that win certain awards. I understand that historical "quote unquote" aspect of it, but it's only history when it comes to the record keeping of white folks, right? It's like, it's like when white folks or the Oscars and, and shit, when they, as soon as they figure out something that's fresh or something that's fly, that don't mean that that it started when they realized it. You know what I'm saying? Because we've been doing this for years, you know. There's been great black writers, black films, black directors for fucking years. So when the Oscars come, I was like, oh, you know, we kind of pat them on the back. So it's like, I think it's less a reflection of how great the advancements are and more of a reflection of how slow these niggas are, right? So in saying that, I say, as an actor, I understand the importance of an Oscar. You know, even in in one breath, I feel like we shouldn't be looking for those approval of people that really don't fuck with us, like, you know we should be more excited about an NAACP image award than a fucking Oscar. But I understand the significance of an Oscar in the sense of your, your price go up, right? You get better roles. You might be able to become a producer. You know what I'm saying? So I get it from that perspective. Same thing with a with Grammy. So it's like, use that shit for tools, don't turn around and brag about your awards for the sake of bragging about your awards. You know, when 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 artists come out, oh, and kind of be like, I got twenty something Grammys and I knew I was gonna win. Like, man, fuck all that. We don't care about that. Because I don't know how many Grammys Nas would. I don't think he won anything. Biggie never won any Grammys. You know what I'm saying? And 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 what about the artists that we love and grew up on? You know, we don't know what their awards count is. So use that shit to double back and improve your community, right? And speaking of which, I, I I don't know if I want to say this or not, but you know, two people listen to this podcast. I I had this ideal, this idea of kind of turning this MAGA shit onto its head, right? Because I I also wrote something else about those MAGA kids, and uh, and one thing the I thought was really hilarious about the MAGA hat shit was the fact that. It's this huge fashion statement, and the hats are whack as fuck. (laughs) Right? Like, they're just whack as fuck. It's like shitty font, big bright red hat, and it's this simplistic, silly-ass fucking thing. And so I was saying to myself, wouldn't it be fucking hilarious since the the shit is so easy to recreate, to create these red MAGA-looking hats, use... Trump, Trumpology for the majority of it, right? Like, just have fucking silly-ass quotes that he's used. You know, build the wall and shit like that. You know, lock her up and, you know, fake news. Put that shit on a MAGA-looking hat and just disguise an account and get all this MAGA money. And then anytime time we send somebody there... Send <laughs> somebody their product. We just send them a note that says a portion of your proceeds have been donated to the NAACP. A portion of your proceeds have been donated to GLAAD. <laughs> a portion of your proceeds have been donated to the Know Your Rights Camp by Colin Kaepernick. I think that would be hilarious. Then there's another part of me feel like, ah, let's do it quietly and make a million dollars off these motherfuckers. You know, which I think would be hilarious because I would use that money to go back to my community and do the shit that I need to do. So I'm kind of torn on it because motherfuckers are, oh, you'll be a sellout. But it'd be kind of funny in a way. You know what I'm saying? But, yeah, there you go. So it's on record. So if I get caught doing this shit, y'all heard this here first, all both of you. Um, what the fuck else is going on? Shit, it's 20 minutes. kind of flew the fuck by. God nigga. You know, I, had, I was spoiled the past two weeks, man. I had I had guests on the show. So it's like it's totally, totally different um shout out to Jesse Smollett I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing your name wrong from Empower Empower Empire um who was attacked and it appears to be um lgbtq um bashing related which i think you know, let's be honest when people say hate crime i think that's such a silly term right because if somebody's doing a crime towards you or attacking you it's all hate <laughs> right i mean i know that's semantics but um it was reports that, that the guys were screaming MAGA shit and all this type of stuff and they and they, they, they pour bleach on him and, and I hope he's okay. And it's just kind of crazy. Like, you know, we talk about a lot of the inflamed shit that's going on right now. It's not a it's not fake. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not fake. I mean, like we we're talking about the MAGA kids from last week. You know what I mean? Um one thing I will talk about that. Uh, the MAGA Kid, and I'm not sure if I talked about this last week with with Shiggy, but the article that I wrote about was um about the MAGA Kid was this term my friend told me about um, we were talking about country music and I was like you know, no matter how much you try to convince me that some of these country artists are cool when I hear it, I think of roping them up. I think of, you know, rednecks hanging up hanging black people. And my friend said that you have uh, Sonic PTSD. That as soon as you hear this shit, it, re- it reminds you of, of this. And so, one of the things I did with this article that I wrote about the, the MAGA Kid was there's a picture and I'm going to see if you guys remember this. There's a picture and I don't have all the information with me right now um, but it was you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to pause it. I'm going to find it. Hold on. Okay, I'm back. There's a picture of Elizabeth Eckford fifteen year old girl she was a part of the Little Rock Nine, so you people that's listening right now find go go on Google a and type in the uh her name in little Rock Nine and there's this famous fucking picture where mind you, the National Guard had to be there for these black students to integrate this school and there's this picture of this black girl, fifteen year old black girl, walking to the class, and there's this white woman behind her with so much fucking hate in her face, like yelling the, you know, just yelling at her. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 insane hatred in that picture. Like I wrote in the article that you could tell, <laughs> you could just tell from the photo that she just got done saying a hard R, like a really hard. Motherfucking R, nigger. Like it just, you could see it. Well, that woman's name um, is Hazel Bryant, and there's actually a book about that photo because Hazel Bryant. It's kind of a weird story, like, and it wasn't necessarily a happy ending. But Hazel, it, no, it wasn't a happy ending at all. But like Hazel Bryant felt ashamed about that picture because she felt like that picture ruined her life, and she's like, "Wow, this really isn't me," and it's his mob mentality. And so six years later, she finds. Eckford, and apologized to her. And on one of the anniversaries of that picture, they went to universities and talked about it. Like, hey, you know, this is how you reconcile, and, you know, lethal weapon, the black and white unity, you know, this type of shit. And later on, it looked like the relationship soured because those black students were attacked. Those black students would beat the fuck up. Those black students had a bunch of shit that happened to them, and that white woman Brian wasn't very honest about her involvement with that. Like, she was a part of that. So, like, let's say they got jumped. Let's say they got beat up. She was a part of those motherfuckers organizing that shit. So when so when you find those things out, then your, you know, your sweet reunion isn't so sweet. Um, But I bring it up in a sense of the sonic PTSD. I had the same thing with those type of triggers when you see those type of pictures. So when I I saw the kid with the hat, I immediately thought about that picture. You know what I'm saying? Like, it wasn't him screaming a hard R, but it looked exactly the same. It was this insane, smug-looking white kid, which, think about this, who was the guy, Scarelli, that bought the Wu-Tang album for a million dollars? How many of y'all wanted to fucking punch him in the face because of that smug look? Right? Same fucking thing. And the thing that kind of drives me crazy about that whole thing is that, and I wrote this in an article too, is like he's, it's, he's, he's in the face looking at this Native American staring at him like that. But they claim, you know, the white people say, oh, the black people were fussing, and there were black Israelites, and they were calling him. and like, all right, cool. All right. Give them that energy. Walk in their face and do that shit. You feel what I'm saying? All right, white boy, go 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 stare in their faces if those are the ones that's saying that shit to you. The reason why he did that to that Native American elder is because white people have a habit of attacking peaceful people of color when they know one, there's not gonna be repercussions, and two, it's within our doctrine to be forgiving. I wish I would have added this to the article, but it's like I never forget. I went to Walter Scott's funeral. Walter Scott was the gentleman that was um, shot in the back by a police officer in Charleston. And the cop ran up, ran up behind him, his, his dead body and dropped like a taser beside him to make it seem like he tried to like raise up on him. But there was a young black man that was in the bushes filming it. And that cop, I think, has life in prison. I say that to say, That after he was murdered by the cops, there was this interview on some news station, and they're asking the family, the mom of a of a man who was murdered, a black mother, do you forgive him? Same thing happened with Dylan Roof. Dylan Roof murdered nine beautiful souls in Charleston at a church who specifically wanted to find a historical black church. What's the deal about a church? Not only is it a symbol of, hey, more than likely there's not going to be any violence in here. But also this is a symbol of, hey, this is the culture that I can still get away with it. Because some asshole after Charleston Nine. Do you forgive Dylan Roof? Who who does that? Hmm. Remember about a year ago it was like a it was like five cops got shot and killed and it was like a a, a black military guy that did it. Nobody asked those victims, those white victims if they forgive the shooter. So why is it something specifically like aimed at black folks? It make them feel better. Oh, okay. They're taught that their Jesus will get us off the hook so we can be as terrible, as violent, as whatever we wanted to be with people. I mean, think about this. And this is like, you know, we got the MLK Day. That was the biggest issue with me with with a lot of the stuff that happened during the civil rights movement with the approach of MLK. And I feel like MLK kind of crossed a little over into the Marcus Garvey mentality because we talked about him saying that I think I'm integrating my people into a burning house. I mean, because think about it, man. The, the, the idea, I mean, think about this now. We were like, yo, we wanna sit at a, a counter of a restaurant and eat here. No, nigga, get out. Nah, we wanna eat here. No, nigga, get out. Nah, we wanna eat here because we just as equal to these white people. We get beaten, fucking head, arrested, all this type of shit. Why the fuck do I wanna eat there? So you're already establishing to these white folks that no matter how bad they treat you, you still want to sit at the counter with them. So when that kid is doing that, like, what's the, you know, (laughs) there's so many fucked up stereotypes we have to the point where we still have a football team called the Redskins. We have Atlanta Braves. We have all this shit that's so disrespectful to Native Americans. But what's always always the stereotype? Oh, they're wise. Oh, they're one with nature. Oh, they're so forgiving. You know what I mean? Oh, they're peaceful. So this boy ran up on a person that he knew wasn't going to give him that energy. And he think he can just stand and stare and intimidate this guy that smug look with his friends, looking, dancing, mocking, taking off the shirt behind him. Come on. And you know what? You want to be kids, you want to do dumb shit like that? Go for it. But I don't like this PR campaign to try to resurrect these kids, their, their personality or, or, or their reputations because young black teens don't ever get that benefit of the doubt. Never get that benefit of the doubt. So, I think this is a great way to end this episode of the Negro League Podcast. (laughs) I'm not in a bad mood, I promise. I'm not in a bad mood. I just, you know, I feel kind of clear with a lot of shit right now. Um, And I'm in the mood to write a bunch of shit, so... Um, new music's coming out soon. Um, like I was saying before, we're going to do something called the Mobile Soul Loft session. so the people that are in Columbia that want to come to it, it's March the 30th. We're bringing the homie tall black guy here. If you guys want to buy tickets, we'll have a link in the bio description. And on top of that, look, if you like what we're doing and you don't live here and can't come to the motherfucking shows, I do a bunch of shit. Do a bunch of art shows, do a bunch of music shows. We always need a helping hand financially to do stuff like that. So go to the Cash app um, and type in more better. soul if you ever want to just donate money, like it don't even have to be a lot of money. My homeboy, <laughs> J. Michael, he here. I have a bad day. Next thing you know, I got like a $5, $5 sent to me and it says, yo, get a cup of coffee. So stuff like that means a lot. You know what I mean? Like you might not think it does, but it does. Um, so yeah, all the Chicago folks out there, um, be safe. um, don't step outside and throw coffee. That shit turns into dust. It's fucking insane. Negative 20 degrees, negative 49, we'll ch- wind chill. Fuck that. I'm going to be in a home with some heat, jerking off. <laughs> Just a tea out of Trump. That, that's the way to end the fucking podcast. We're sponsored right now by Mobetta Soul Clothing. Go to MobettaSoul.BigCartel.com. Type in code negro to save 10%. Thank you guys for listening. Love y'all. Fuck with y'all. You're be touching you